The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com podcasts. More changes in President Trump's legal team and more changes in his story about not knowing of a $130,000 payment made to adult film actress Stormy Daniels during the 2016 campaign. In tweets this morning, Trump confirmed what his new lead attorney, Rudy Giuliani, said on Fox last night, that he repaid his lawyer, Michael Cohen, for the $130,000 payment Cohen made to Daniels just days before the election. This morning on Fox and Friends, Giuliani also discussed the changes, the chances of the special counsel interviewing Trump. Before they raided uh, a lawyer's office, which will turn out to be an outrageous uh, violation of the attorney-client privilege, before they put out the, 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 the questions mm-hmm. and completely soiled the atmosphere, the chances were pretty good. Now we're going to have some convincing to do. My guest is former federal prosecutor Renato Mariotti, a partner at Thompson Coburn. Renato, this new version of the facts is a 180 degree change from what Trump and Cohen had been saying previously. It's obviously a legal strategy, but what's your assessment of it? Wow. Well, it is a strategy. I'd say if if I had to make sense of the strategy, which is a little hard to make sense of, I think originally what, what um, Giuliani was trying to do last night on the Hannity show uh, before the comments this morning was to try to help Michael Cohen. You know, we know that Michael Cohen is under investigation for campaign finance violations related to the payment to Stormy Daniels. Uh, and I think, you know, although the president had been trying to distance himself from Michael Cohen recently, uh, you know, he, he, uh, the president did an interview recently in Fox and Friends where he said that Cohen didn't do much of his legal work and he was an independent businessman and so on. Um, it, it looks like, you know, they were, uh, it seemed to me like they were trying to help Michael Cohen here and try to convince him not to flip. Um, but I think the, you know, and then the consequence of that, of course, is creating legal liability for the president. Uh, unlike Michael Cohen, you know, as president of the United States, uh, Donald Trump uh, can't get uh, indicted while in office, or at least that's the current position of the Justice Department. Uh, and the Republicans in Congress can protect him from impeachment. Uh, and so, um, you know, that's a way of transferring liability from Cohen to Trump. But uh, I think Giuliani's statements were so inartful that he may have actually harmed both uh, Cohen and the president. One of the things I found odd in one of the interviews that Giuliani did on Fox is he said, when I heard Cohen's retainer of 35000 when he was doing no work for the president, I said, that's how he re- is repaying with a little profit and a little margin for paying taxes. Does that sound like Giuliani came up with this new explanation in a eureka moment? I've seen this and that's how I'll do it. And he even talked about funneling money, which is an odd term to use. 
It is a really odd term to use, and I have to say, um, it's it's very odd and irre- irregular. Why would somebody who purports to be a billionaire need to pay one hundred and thirty thousand dollars to their attorney over time in installments um, through a retainer? Um, it's very unusual. Um, it does not really make a lot of sense. Uh, it seems to me more of a um, uh, after-the-fact explanation uh, for this uh, rather than uh, what was happening at the time. I mean, I think, um, it, you, know, it, you know, it appears from what we know that at the time, you know, this was an arrangement that, you know, perhaps uh, not a lot of thought was given to the legality uh, uh, of this. And, uh, you know, now they're trying to scramble. I mean, the good news for Trump that still remains is, as I said, he's president in the United States. Um, it can be hard to go at him personally, legally, but Cohen knows a lot about the president. He was his attorney for a long period of time. There's a lot of issues related to what Cohen could tell prosecutors about Trump, because obviously there might be attorney client privilege, but you know, what we've seen thus far indicates that Cohen hasn't been acting much as an attorney. So, um, you know, it's possible that this could really have very significant impact for the president. You wrote an editorial in the New York Times about those 49 questions that Mueller could ask Trump filtered through Trump's legal team. You said they leave little doubt that Trump is in serious jeopardy. And the questions show that Mueller has already thought about how he would prove his case on obstruction. Tell us how. Sure. So, um, there's no doubt that the president did a number of things that you could construe as acts that might be influencing the investigation, like firing James Comey. The question is all about his intent. You know, if the president fired James Comey because he thought he was a bad FBI director, that's one thing. He certainly is entitled to do that. But if he was firing James Comey because he was was upset that Comey was not going to stop the investigation of Michael Flynn and he wanted an FBI director who would be more amenable to um, you know, uh, interfering with the investigation, that would be uh, a crime. And so th- the question all comes down to what was the president's intent at the time? And to prove that really what Mueller is doing is looking at the president's words and actions over a long period of time, not just what he said in the Lester Holt interview, which a lot of people focus on, but, you know, the fact that, for example, he got very angry and erupted at the attorney general, Jeff Sessions, when Jeff Sessions told him that he recused himself. Uh, reportedly, the president said um, that he wanted uh, uh, the attorney general to protect him uh, and to shield him. Um, you know, similarly, uh, the president uh, has talked about firing the special counsel, uh, Robert Mueller. So there's a whole series of events in which the president has shown his in- an intense interest in the Russia investigation and a desire to try to, you know, shut it down or cut it off or stop it. And so uh, Mueller was asking very pointed questions, uh, you know, in that list that we saw about what the president really intended and meant when he said and did all these various things. And really what that tells you is that the president is the one who's under investigation here. It is the president's intent that's at issue. And Giuliani was developing, excuse me, Giuliani, uh, Mueller is developing that evidence uh, in order to, um, uh, you know, potentially prove that the, the president obstructed justice. Renato, the Trump team seems to be putting out many reasons now why the interview won't take place. Mm -hmm. In about a minute, should Mueller just issue the subpoena already before Trump has a chance to fire Rod Rosenstein or something else? Well, um, I I think... 
um, you know, that's more of a political question. I, you know, if he let's say he issued the subpoena now, I mean, Trump could still fire Rod Rosenstein. Uh, realistically, um, you know, if 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 Trump appointed a new deputy attorney general or, for example, Mr. Francisco stepped into the shoes, who's the solicitor general and next in line, stepped into the shoes of Rod Rosenstein, he certainly could try to prevent Mueller from issuing a subpoena. But I think that that would you know, create additional problems for the Trump team. I suspect that at some point that would become public and, you know, would generate a lot of outrage. Um, I, I really think for for Trump and his team at this point, their 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 saviest move, and and that's not that does not I do not mean to suggest that they will do this, but the saviest move would be I think to keep Mueller in place and then do continue doing whatever they can to discredit him and to attack him, because if they do get Mueller out of there, Mueller and Rosenstein out of there, they replace them with new people, and then they have to. We're not. I have to. Sorry, I have to cut you sure. off there. Thanks so much. That's from our federal. Pro- Prosecutor Renato Mariotti. Justice Anthony Kennedy has been the swing vote on the Supreme Court for more than 10 years. For the second year, the 81-year-old justice is the focus of retirement speculation, something that sends anxiety into the hearts of many liberals. Joining me to either put the speculation to rest or not is Bloomberg News Supreme Court reporter Greg Storr. Greg, Explain just how important Justice Kennedy is to the decisions in controversial issues that come before the court. June, it's hard to overstate how important he is. Um, He is usually the swing vote when you have a five to four Supreme Court decision. He's with the conservatives on things like campaign finance and the decision from a few years ago that that cut out a core part of the Voting Rights Act. He's with the liberals on gay rights and generally on abortion access. Uh, One professor, uh, Michael Klarman of Harvard Law School, said he is the most important Supreme Court justice in history and it's not close. You write that Kennedy's retirement, quote, would drop a political bomb into what's already one of the country's most divisive eras since the Civil War. What's likely to happen? Tell us how it would unfold. Well, if he were to retire this term uh, and with Republicans having 51 seats in the Senate out of the the 100, they don't need Democratic control. Uh, So as long as they can hold together, and that includes a couple of Republican senators, Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski, uh, who tend to be on the side of abortion rights. But as long as Republicans can, can hold together, uh, they can get uh, a, a nominee confirmed. That said, um, the magnitude of the shift on the court would mean that um, uh, no holds will be barred. Uh, liberals, Democrats will fight as hard as they possibly can to derail a Trump nomination uh, until the midterm when there's at least a chance that Democrats could take control of the Senate. Now, if let's suppose that Trump does nominate someone and that a conservative is put on the court, would it be a lasting change on the court? Yeah, it, it, it would, would in all likelihood be huge. Um, the uh, the The Conservative members of the court would all generally be uh, relatively young. The oldest would be would be Justice Clarence Thomas. Um, and unless one of them were to leave during a Democratic administration, and, and it's hard to imagine any of them would do that uh, voluntarily, uh, it's, it's a majority, a solid conservative majority uh, that, that would last for decades. Kennedy has seen how Justice Neil Gorsuch, who replaced the late Justice Antonin Scalia, is a pretty reliable conservative vote. So is staying on the court the only way that Kennedy could really protect some of his accomplishments, like 
gay marriage. Yeah, well, well, that's certainly what what folks on the progressive side are, are saying, and, you know, <laughs> trying to encourage him to to stay. Um, it, you know, there's there's at least a, a theory that that the gay rights precedents on the Supreme Court are uh, not going anywhere. That it is, uh, regardless of who who uh, would succeed Kennedy, that we're unlikely to see the court try to revisit the Obergefell gay marriage ruling, for example, whereas a decision like Roe v. Wade could be overturned. Um, and, and on the other side, some of the, the decisions like Citizens United, where Kennedy sides with the liberals, excuse me, with the conservatives, uh, those could be more vulnerable if a more liberal justice replaced Kennedy. So his legacy may be more secure, in a sense, uh, with his more liberal decisions, regardless of who who uh, succeeds him. So, Greg, Supreme Court justices, will, we should know by the end of the term, will we be hearing from Justice Kennedy? Yeah, we're, we're definitely in the season now when uh, justices do announce their retirement. So the last two who have stepped, stepped down, who have retired, uh, John Paul Stevens and David Souter, both did it around this time. Some of the justices, if you go a little further back, Sandra Day O'Connor, um, uh, Thurgood Marshall, Lewis Powell, retired at the very end of the term after the last decisions. So we're certainly going to be watching up until that last week of June when we expect the court to finish its term. And so add to the speculation here, what is Justice Kennedy likely to do? Boy, uh, you know, it, there are no outward signs that he is going to retire He, he, in the sense that he's hired his clerks for next term. He is going to uh, teach in Austria like he does every summer. Um, but it would not be a surprise to anybody if indeed he does uh, say that this is the end. He shows no signs of slowing down. When you when I listen to the oral arguments, you see him there. Do you see anything that indicates that he's ready to slow down? No, certainly nothing I can point you to in any concrete sense. Um, it, it, you know, the, the thinking is really that he he was appointed by a Republican. Uh, some of his former law clerks uh, tell me, uh, you know, he still thinks of himself as you know coming from that from those roots, and would like a Republican president to nominate his successor. If, if, um, and if he waits for another year, there's the possibility that uh, Democrats take control of the Senate and, um, you know, maybe uh, no nominee from Donald Trump could get onto the court until the next presidential election. You write, and I was surprised by this, that, though I shouldn't be, conservative groups are already making plans to back any Trump nominee. So in about a minute, tell us about that. Yeah, so um, there's a group called the Judicial Crisis Network that um, it is uh, conservatives who have gone to bat, went to bat for Neil Gorsuch. It's sort of the genesis of it um, was back uh, in, in the George W. Bush administration, supporting John Roberts and Sam Alito on the court. Uh, the conservatives, have, they're willing to, to – they run television advertisements, and many of those advertisements are likely to show up in states where, say – uh, you know, Trump-leaning states where a Democratic senator is up for re-election, and they could be very powerful forces. Well, it's it's a really interesting story. And, Greg, we will wait to hear from you as to what Justice Kennedy is doing. Thanks so much. Sure That's Bloomberg News Supreme Court reporter Greg Storr. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun from May 14th to 16th 
A thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.